We got it all together now, gang. The Fonz. His doggy name, Mr. Cool and the Good Group. One flaky time machine and a future chick named Cupcake. Oh, now the gang got zapped into that time machine and they're like traveling through time. My, my. They do not dig where that machine is going, but they sure hope to get back to 1957 Milwaukee. Can you dig it? Yeah! Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 126 of Vague Zone. I am Daniel. I'm Thomas. And today we are on our second of three coming-of-age movies. Our first was mid-90s, directed by Jonah Hill. And this next one uh, is my choice, my follow-up to that one, which is 1973's American Graffiti from George Lucas. Uh... Before we get into the discussion, Thomas, will you read for us the IMDb synopsis? Sure thing. All right. American Graffiti, 1973. A group of teenagers in California's Central Valley spend one final night after their 1962 high school graduation cruising the strip with their buddies before they pursue their varying goals. So, yeah. What sort of, what drove you to pick, no pun intended, uh, what drove you to pick uh, American Graffiti? Um, I was on the I was on the fence between a few movies, but I think it was really just as we were discussing mid '90s last week, and the idea of it's this movie with this uh, era defining soundtrack, all about capturing that vibe. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's just you know kids going doing what kids do, uh, and the way that movie climaxes, I, I felt like. I have to do American Graffiti. Like yes. it feels, it feels like a good point of comparison. Yeah, um, I, now I see. So yeah, that's, now I see. Yes. That's kind of what motivated me. But um, yeah, this is your first time watching it, right? You hadn't seen this before. Correct. I'd never seen this. Uh, so what did you think of American Graffiti? I enjoyed watching it. I like. Yeah, I've been watching George Lucas stuff all my life. I remember when episode one was coming out and it was a big deal that it was being projected digitally. And this was like the first like theatrical wide release of like a digital projection. And that was a big, big deal. And I, yeah, it's no like star Wars was a big part of that part of my childhood and that part of my life. And I like, that's kind of what George Lucas is to me in my mind is I think yeah. of George Lucas, I think of, uh, Star Wars first, then Indiana Jones second, um, and he has other films. He, this man has other other works in his career, and yeah, uh, yeah THX eleven thirty eight came before this. I haven't seen that. I'm still curious about this. But yeah, American Graffiti is one where it's sort of famous in the indie world, where it's like low budget but made a, made a very good profit. It's just like a, one of those iconic films. Um, yeah, uh, Ron Howard is this, uh, Richard Dreyfuss. The casting is pretty great. Um, yeah, it's a young Harrison Ford in here as well. There's a lot of good stuff going on here. Um, and yeah, I don't know why I avoided watching it, especially growing uh, going to a film school where Coppola was sort of somewhat attached to it. Uh, this movie definitely has like a reputation, and people seem to love it. Um, yeah, and I enjoyed watching it. 
Uh, and I do appreciate the fact that it is a coming-of-age movie that seems to be signifying this era, this, like, era ending, and it's, like, kind of like a changing of the guard in some ways, where this movie is about these kids sort of going off to college, and I'm, I relate very much to that summer before going off to college. I, I think that's, like, a very important summer, maybe just for Americans, but just, like, at least in my life, like, that last summer is sort of like it, like, that last summer before, like, your actual life, and so I think when a movie covers that period of time, covers that period of time over, like, a day or a night, it, they tend to be really fun, really special, and, um, yeah, I feel that, I feel like that sort of definitely the case for this movie and you get a lot of cultural things too like the hot rod sort of uh, sort of spoilers the hot rod uh <laughs> kind of bursting in the flames at the end of this like race kind of signifies again like this era feels like it's coming to an end like this cruising uh this soul 62 thing it feels like a movie from the 50s like it feels like very 50s car yeah. diner vibe but yeah it's like 62 which i think is interesting because yeah it's very much about like this era changing one of our characters notes that like rock and roll hasn't been the same since buddy holly died and i think that's really a very good line that sort of shows that yeah we're afraid of this surf rock music we're afraid of this this black this getting kind of black you know it's getting kind of scary it's getting kind of 60s and i don't know i feel like yeah this is a weird era kind of changing movie and i think it's really gorgeous to sort of see that transition um yeah i had a good time watching it um what is what are your thoughts watching it um yeah i remember the first time i watched this it 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 was cool because it felt like it it filled me with a feeling of nostalgia for a time that i didn't grow up in and i think that's kind of a common sentiment towards this movie um it kind of made me miss it kind of made me hate the internet (laughs) because like i don't know you know you, you watch these kids and they only re- the only way they have to express themselves, the only way they have to connect and communicate with each other is by throwing their bodies out there, by, like, getting out into the street, climbing into strangers' cars, yeah, just, yeah. like, forcing themselves into these connections. Uh, and, I don't know, I was reading today about how, you know, younger people are... They're having sex less. Uh, there's like less teenage pregnancies, which is a good thing. But it's also like, oh, okay, there's less kids drinking, less kids doing drugs. You know, oh, yeah. potentially good thing. <laughs> and there's two sides to it. And yeah, there's also yeah. this feeling that like kids are a lot more isolated and a lot more alone. And like, what is dri- that's what is driving these things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they have more sources of entertainment through like the internet, video games, and stuff like that. Um, but they're becoming way more uh, isolated. And um, yes, uh, one thing that's been popping up on my Instagram feed a lot this week is like very sad basketball players going to course and be like, "Man, there's like no kids out here." It's like this uh, one guy. It like broke my heart. It's like this dude walking around with like a pair of like Nikes. Like I'm about to hook some kid up with like a brand new pair of Nikes. And, like all the basketball courts are empty. I'm like, and but all the comments, but the comments are like, "Come back at like four. Like like, like you're like I think mean, okay. you're a couple hours early, maybe. Yeah, kids or, are still in school. Or like like you're either early or like go to like an indoor park, maybe or like an indoor court or something like that. Um, stop going to these outdoor ones. But that I think that just ties into your point of yes there is that like anxiety of like where the kids man where's skate parks where like you know where's the outdoors like, and that's how, like, what sort of killed that yeah and that's what's kind of that's what brings us to mid 90s is when we were growing up we were out there like with skateboards and bikes and we were causing trouble i feel like yeah. i couldn't <laughs> kickflip but i was out there I trying was. 
<laughs> but then it's also like this is also a different point in a person's life like these kids are leaving high school getting ready to go to college so they're a little bit more mature they're dealing with more mature issues whereas yeah. in mid-90s stevie is just like trying to figure out who he is as a person really um yeah yeah uh but yeah there's i don't know contrasting those movies a little further it feels like um you know mid-90s captures this recklessness and this insecurity of youth and this is capturing like the innocence and like the potential of youth yeah. uh they have their whole futures ahead of them and they are sort of sort of the way that they engage with each other it feels like a bit naive sometimes yes um just climbing into each other's cars <laughs> and like <laughs> yeah. but then also like maybe i don't know maybe that was sort of a, the dynamic of a smaller town where like everyone knew each other uh maybe it felt a little bit more safe or something yeah um i'll i'll even mention this um our personal history a sort of a screenplay i wrote back in college called the riffraff where essentially it's about it was inspired heavily from that first summer from being in the small town of martinez and then moving out to san francisco and sort of like that last summer before going to do something very different for your life and i feel like a lot of those sentiments are directly reflected kind of here me not even knowing it obviously if i would have watched that movie but watch sorry if i would have watched this movie while watching or writing that screenplay it would have been very obvious but i think yeah it's very key that yeah this is like about like the baggage of high school and the baggage of your life sort of being there and kind of holding you back quote unquote and like okay well now it's a, it's time for a clean slate and like do you have the courage to jump off that deep end and go out and to do go out into that unknown and then you have this really interesting dynamic between kurt and steve where at the beginning kurt's like i'm staying like i'm done like i'm not yeah. going anywhere and then steve's like no man we gotta get out of here but by the time the movie's over they completely swap places and yeah yeah because I think there's this feeling when you are at that stage in your life where, you know, you're eager to get the fuck out, but then you're also, emotions are high and you're kind of hoping or like wondering, is something going to happen that's going to keep me here? That's going to be worth keeping me here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess, yeah, Stevie finds it with his, his girlfriend. Um, and then Kurt, why, do, why does Kurt leave? He just doesn't want to be... <laughs> uh, whatever that gang is um the pharaohs he doesn't want to be a pharaoh <laughs> yeah he doesn't um, be a pharaoh. cool name they got jackets already they're pretty they got things pretty set up um I, I don't know i think it's curious why he decides to go i think it's a combination of maybe he does like get a proper taste of that mischievous life um sort of the <laughs> i i do i find it kind of just amusing how he kind of falls into that the sort of trap where he like he's sitting on this dude's car and this gang comes up he's like hey like do you know so and so and he's like no and he's like well you're sitting on his car and you're putting scratches on it and then they yeah. basically just like say like well you're gonna just do whatever we say for the rest of the night or we're gonna beat you up and like if you don't do that like if you if you don't do what we say we're just gonna jump you and just like this that fear of violence is enough for him to to tag along with them and to yeah. do some vandalous stuff um, but I think it gets to a point where they're doing something illegal and then he, they get caught and then he gets sort of his goody, for lack of better words, his reputation, his goody two-shoesness sort yeah. of gets him saved out of that situation. And then I don't know, maybe he, that's just enough for, to be like, oh, well, I'm, I'm actually okay. Like He has some I, like re reverse street cred, basically. <laughs> essentially, yeah. I don't know. It's a weird moment, but I, I, I didn't like it, the fact that he gets deep into, sort of deep into this little 
vibe with these gangsters <laughs> and then totally kind of snaps out of it once the the shop owner recognizes him and he kind of just they respect him and he, that i think that allows him to to walk away and yeah. do whatever he wants um i feel like richard dreyfus i kind of love immediately i feel like i kind of immediately love his performance in this movie yeah um early on in the movie i think just the way he like parks his car and like gets out and like looks back at it and stuff i don't know there's it feels and the way it's shot i think I think I'd heard that it was important to George Lucas to have a ton of cameras on the set to mm-hmm. sort of give it a documentary quality, but it feels very naturalistic. Yeah. Um, and it is interesting that like even the concept of trying to do sort of a documentary quality to this nostalgic period piece, like that is something that endured with, you know, mid nineties too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I, Even though I had the this, 90s was kind of aping kids, but so. <laughs> yeah, I had a, a very dumb moment when I was watching this, and I was like, at least when you get the first, like, cross, not cross section, but I guess, like, this uh, establishing shot of them outside of Mel's, and it's Kurt, Terry, and Steve, and I was like, oh, yeah, that, that, like, that's our. Um, Seth, Evan, and McLovin from Superbad. I did uh, have no, that vibe. Like, clearly, like, like, no, like, that is grafted from here. Like, like, clearly, like, Kurt is kind of a little huskier, a little bit more physical, and, like, he's locked in on trying to, like, hook up with this, like, blonde, beautiful woman the entire night, and Steve is, like, the softer guy, has a girlfriend, is trying to, like, deal with this politics of, like, leaving your, I don't know, and Terry looks like a McLovin. He's nerd. <laughs> yeah. He's nerd, he's in over his head. Like, yeah. he's lying. <laughs> he's trying to buy alcohol, like... Yeah, and I was just like, this is so brilliant that this is, like, ahead of its time and clearly, like, the the template for everything that kind of came after it. Um, I actually kind of find Ron Howard's character, Steve, interesting because he's kind of a dick. <laughs> like, yeah. he's kind of a complete dick. Uh, and it's interesting to me because when I think of Ron Howard, I especially at that age, I'm thinking of Happy Days, which came after. Um, although I, I had also heard that... Um, the pilot for Happy Days was shot, and then George Lucas basically, I think he'd already had the script for American Graffiti, like this was something he was gonna do. Uh, okay. He saw the pilot and then just stole the casting. Um, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, like, you know, if you're listening, please feel free to fact check me on this. Uh, well, I didn't realize I Happy Days was after American Graffiti. Yeah, well, the pilot was shot, it wasn't gonna be developed, he took the he you know took inspiration from the casting casted ron howard and then uh after the critical success of american graffiti uh happy days was sort of like greenlit to be a a series i believe that's what happened interesting Um, okay but um trippy but yeah it's interesting i usually think of him as that like good guy from happy days and here he's got a little more uh i feel like all the characters it's it's happy days but with an edge and by yeah, edge i yeah. don't mean that it's like rough and tough but it is like you're having characters navigate sexuality and yeah yeah you know they are getting in fights and saying goddamn and shit yeah <laughs> so. and like the willingness to sort of bend the rules and be a little dishonest about it and like specifically um the character of steve where he's like doing the kind of fuckboy thing where he's like, yeah, like, we'll, like, stay in a relationship, but we can still, like, see other people, even though we're not <laughs> yeah. together. And it's just like, nah, man, like, either you stay with her yeah. or, like, break up with Make her. Make a like, decision. Yeah, don't do the long distance, hey, like, I'm going on the weekend thing. 
I saw that freshman year, and spoilers, it doesn't work um, if you're considering doing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a little trippy, and yeah, I, I was kind of taken aback by the language a little bit too. Um, the character uh, Carol is she's uh, she hops into the car with John. There's clearly like an age difference thing where it's clear John has graduated. Is he older than Kurt and Steve, or is he like the same age? I figure he's probably like a year or two older. I don't know. Yeah. So clearly, yeah, there's like a little taboo thing kind of going on with Carol being in his car, and she's like, "Well, if I'm going to tell the cops that you raped me, if you like, yeah, that don't." And I was like, "Okay, that's kind of going real quick to that." Uh, Don't know if I'm okay with how they use that language and that like kind of joke in this. I mean, well, you get the vibe that she's not. She's kind of weird, <laughs> like yeah. kind of a wacky, uncomfortable character. The way she talks about, like, I don't know, her parents and stuff, and she says, like, "Go ahead, break my arm." Like, yeah, this, there's something going on with this chick. Yeah, it's a trip, yeah. but also of the era, because like they're cruising. The whole thing with cruising is like, yeah, you just get in the car and you just circle the block continuously. You get your your Mel's diner, you get your gas up or whatever, but you just cruise the entire night. And I was like, yeah, if, like, if you're, like, trying to hit on a girl, like, the way that Terry did, like, you just have to catcall her. Like, you just have to, yeah. like, yell at her. <laughs> She's, like, I mean, you don't have to. I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> you don't have to. But it seems to be that is the way that the process is. is it feels like here. that is kind of the culture. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, hey, Dame, hey, toots. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, okay, and, like, I know what era I'm in now. Yeah. Um, oh, fuck, what was I going to say? I blinked. <laughs> What do you think of the character Terry? He seems to have a, a raucous night. Um. Okay. Well. Okay. Well. Let me sort of aside from Terry. I kind of want to. Sorry. Let me rewind. <laughs> um, <laughs> watching this movie, something I was thinking about was which characters are based on people George Lucas knew, and which one is based on him. I sort of got the vibe that Richard Dreyfuss's character may have been based on him, and perhaps uh yeah. you know who he wanted to be or adventures he aspired to um i i assume that all of these are kind of based on you know people he grew up with and issues that he dealt with uh terry strikes me as very much a character yeah. um <laughs> not not george lucas um but yeah <laughs> yeah i, I can yeah, see terry that is, well, yeah go ahead Kurt is the one that leaves, and so I think that does make sense. For and we get this life. shot of him like looking up at the sky towards the end, and it kind of reminds me of um, the uh, twin sun scene in uh, Star Wars. And it's mm-hmm. like, I, I feel like there is this moment, maybe in George Lucas's life, where he was just like, I need to get the fuck out of here, <laughs> and yeah, like yeah. just kind of longing for, towards adventure, and that that was just kind of a, you know, something that has sat within him that he needed to put up on screen um yeah i can see that um yeah i think that makes the most sense because the scene i walk away from the most the one that is sort of burned in my mind the most from this movie is throughout the film we have our characters driving around and they're listening to the radio and on the radio it's the host there's wolfman jack and wolfman mm-hmm. jack has this over-the-top personality and no one really has seen him or knows what he looks like. And there's a point where a character speculates, there's like Wolfman Jack, like my parents won't let, let me listen to Wolfman Jack because he's yeah. black. And yeah. um, 
as the film progresses, um, our character Kurt sort of gets obsessed with making getting a message to this blonde woman mm-hmm. by any means necessary. So through the radio is the best way. So he goes to the radio station to get the message to Wolfman Jack to, to tell her that whatever that he loves her. Uh, and then we sort of get this weird introduction to this character where, um, for uh, spoilers, if you're this far, spoilers again. But um, again, essentially the mis- the mystique of that character is sort of revealed. And mm-hmm. I didn't know who Wolfman Jack was. I wasn't aware that like this. Um, he's a real guy. Yeah, he's a real man. First of all, it's a real man playing himself. Um, but also, uh, so I guess yeah, the reveal uh, when he shows up, like oh yeah, first like he's on tape. There is no Wolfman Jack. He he travels the world and then he gives me these tapes and then I play them. Yeah. And then sort of that sort of the first layer of, of the magic being broken. And then it goes a little bit further to where uh, he walks out. And after he gives him the speech of being like, hey, like, I just sit here and suck popsicles all day. Go out and you li- live your life. <laughs> Kurt turns around and looks and then we see Wolfman Jack being himself. And yeah. the full reveal that this is who he actually is. And it's a moment where we have this magical sort of character and this mystique all get completely erased. And all of this gets completely taken away. And I think that's a very um, instrument, uh, instrumental and important moment for the character Kurt of like having all of this the magic of that childhood sort of being lifted and taken away and i think that's really appropriate to sort of happen to sort of the hero and the sort of the george lucas so, so to speak something that i find really interesting about that scene is when kurt looks back at wolfman jack talking to his microphone we don't really see what his expression is because he's completely in shadow kurt i mean yeah. um like we see him turn back we know that he sees wolfman jack but we don't know, we don't have the information to read how, what his reaction is to that. Um, yeah, it just seems like an interesting choice to me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I found that fascinating. Yeah, and I think everything about uh, the uh, Harrison Ford's character, his character's name is Bob, like yeah. his kind of, um, his mystique is also interesting too, because he's kind of like this other badass cool guy kind of character who's sort of more like i guess morphs into our our villain essentially um and i guess he's there to sort of be a cautionary tale for someone like john to like not supposedly end up like but i think the movie also kind of gives us uh they reveal what happens to the to these characters at the end of the movie to kind of show that he does eventually kind of follow this bad path so okay well bob I feel like this is almost sort of a tearing away the mystique thing too, where Bob is like this stud, you know, all the girls are interested in Bob and he drives this fast car and he's seems to be this sort of intimidating figure uh, throughout the movie. Then uh, what's her name? Lori, Cindy Williams. Uh, when she gets into his car, he says something ridiculous to her. Like, I forget what he says, like, hey, 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 baby, how's it going? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. something super fucking dorky. And and then he ends up crashing, losing this race, hurts his arm, and then he's kind of silent after all of that. Yeah. Um, I think that might be his, like, last line. It's, like, him, him like, picking up on Lori. Um, but I feel like he's kind of just... They kind of reduce him to just being some guy. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, yeah, he goes from being this, like, serious, intimidating figure that all the women are interested in to just be, he's just some dude. With that, yeah. now without a car. <laughs> yeah, I think what the exchange, he, like, mentions something and then she's like, we'll get along if you just don't speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like... Uh, but yeah, okay, but you brought up the epilogue. How do you feel about that? 
it gave me whiplash honestly it yeah. <laughs> definitely it felt like an odd choice to sort of I hate it, it. ends <laughs> it all, yeah it was like this is pretty great like yeah like this is a, a very tightly wrapped up coming of age story and our character is he has his entire life ahead of him as well as all of these other characters have all of their lives ahead of them and then like nope here's a title card with four lines of, of of dialogue on there that essentially sorry four lines of text that explain how two characters die and how two other characters end up just for the rest of their lives well okay one of them dies from a drunk driving accident the other terry <laughs> yeah, is sorry. just he just goes missing to be so fair, we don't yeah. know what happens with terry all right that's my my rambo last blood script is <laughs> yeah. rambo going to find terry <laughs> he could be happily <laughs> living in vietnam uh, uh, he could have defected we gotta bring him back uh, <laughs> yeah it's it, it, just, it gave me whiplash and i don't know because i was like this is kind of funny because it's out of left field but also it's, i don't know it takes a little bit of that fun and optimism away from the movie um, so. but yeah that was something that lucas was criticized for was uh that the ending was a bummer and that it's also uh he's accused <laughs> of chauvinism for not mentioning anything about the women uh, yeah yeah definitely but I, I i think i think the greater sin is just he shouldn't have mentioned anything about the men either yeah. <laughs> like he should have just left all that shit out yeah little did those critics know george lucas being a bummer is like his whole thing <laughs> he's like you thought you're you thought you thought you're having fun that's my whole thing that's what i do you thought you were having a great trip down memory lane and then i i blew it <laughs> Oh, I didn't know Lucas was a fan of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to have him on. Um, any final thoughts on American Graffiti? Oh my gosh. I didn't even look at my notes throughout this whole conversation. Um, I, oh, I, I glanced. There's a very <laughs> weird scene uh, with a teacher who all of the girls have crushes on. Yeah. Very bizarre. Um, yeah, very strange. But I, I would hate to say that's not true to the experience. That's what happened in my high school. Multiple teachers got in trouble for that. So Ugh. We had a teacher who... There, okay, there was a, a married couple at school. Two married teachers. Um, I didn't know. But someone eventually told me, uh, oh yeah, she was his student at one point. She used to okay. go here and was his student. Then they got <laughs> married. And now she teaches here alongside him. <laughs> Um, and then in the yearbook, there's a photo, there was a photo of him, like, in class, like, teaching her. That's wild, yeah. Um, very uncomfortable. Why did they include yeah. that in the yearbook? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's wild. Yeah, I remember, uh, yeah, it was senior year, really, really cool teacher, uh, transferred to the school. Turns out he was a little too cool, and oh, it's no. just like, just like that reputation. Too cool for like, age of it, consent loss. Yeah, yeah, just like... <laughs> like oh man so-and-so is like so great you like showed us fucking apocalypse now in english class and stuff like it's fucking little badass t-shirt and then yeah no he's a little too cool got a little too comfortable so unfortunately um, um, i wanted to mention i do appreciate the fact that you have the car steve's car is kind of like this literal plot device sort of given to terry's like mm -hmm. hey like i'm leaving town i'm gonna give you my amazing hot rod and then that hot rod sort of just proceeds to just cause him all the like it, give, it brings him fortune and it brings him misfortune throughout the course of the night and i found that really entertaining sort of how that just continued to to like 
quite literally drive his plot forward like the fact that he has this sort of status symbol that he hasn't earned and how long can he keep it it gets stolen from it what happens when it gets stolen can he continue the facade and i i did enjoy how everything kind of played out with that and then when he's like very defeated outside the diner and he still manages to kind of win her over he's like i'm kind of a loser i ride a moped and she's like well that's close to a motorcycle and i like motorcycles and they have a moment it it worked for me and i really appreciate it that they're kind of able to kind of tie that up nicely um shout out to candy clark who plays debbie uh terry's romantic interest because i think she's fucking great in this movie uh there's a scene where she is pressuring him to buy booze and she is just like <laughs> has this wild look in her eyes like unblinking <laughs> like uh like really intimidating and um i'd heard that like george lucas's directing style that i, I mean he's kind of like there's there's jokes about him on the set of star wars just telling the actors like faster and more intense and like that was his like main direction. I I, I got the sense he's not a good acting director, um, which yeah, you, which is why when he worked with these great actors in uh, the prequel movies, their performances are shit. <laughs> like the yeah. perform- some of the worst performances in their careers. Um, but uh, but so yeah, I, I I think big shout out to Candy Clark for that performance because I don't think George Lucas really deserves the credit. <laughs> <laughs> that's great um yeah i think she's fantastic yeah i love yeah she's clearly too much woman for him but he still manages to to, <laughs> to sort of keep it all together and, and to to keep the facade going on long enough that she's like yeah like we hung out like there was uh gunfire it got there was fights the car got stolen it was an exciting night this is a fun night a crazy night this is a good time and yeah um, i i appreciated their adventure I think Mackenzie Phillips as Carol also gives the the bratty twelve year old, which I didn't realize she was twelve until I read the Wikipedia page. I don't think yeah. it's really clarified in the movie how old she is. Not really. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think she also does a really great job. I mean, the whole cast is pretty good. There's not really a you know a weak. Yeah, I appreciate in the mix. her um, when she like does she like makes fun of herself when she's like yelling the insult at the other yeah. car. So your car's uglier than I am. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Um, also, uh, just a physical comedy moment when Terry is outside of the the liquor store trying to convince adults to buy him a bottle, and he does like a very like a very big like okie dokie kind of sign that is like I just the way he does it. I was like he's walking around like the Tin Man right now, and it's just the physicality was really funny to me. Um, uh, I wanted to mention lastly. Um, the, I love the stunt with the the car, like uh, Kurt sort of like tying the rope under the, like, the finger uh, yeah. of the police car, and like yeah, there's like a, a lot of really great build up to that when they're just like just completely urging him to do this, and the entire time I'm watching, I'm like there's no way he's gonna actually go through with this. Like he's not, he's like he's he's totally gonna wuss out and not do this, and when he finally ties it onto the the bottom of the police car thing we see the stunt like it was pretty shocking i was like really liked how physical yeah it looks fantastic yeah the whole car just jumps up like five feet into the air yeah and it's just like oh shit (laughs) like that's a little more than a prank like they kind of yeah (laughs) there's some there's some some high-grade mischief right there the good old days of destroying police vehicles (laughs) for a laugh gotta love it um 
yeah, something I was actually just thinking about when you when you first said stunt, I wasn't sure the, what you were gonna say. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie opens with Terry crashing his Vespa into like a trash can, <laughs> um, and I just pulled up the IMDb trivia page. That wasn't scripted, and I remember oh, thinking yeah. like, "Oh man, what a great detail! Like it looks, you know, it feels so organic. Like what a way to start this movie." Uh, but yeah, he actually lost control of the vehicle and, and crashed it. Uh, That's awesome. And then I know later in the movie. Uh, they end up back at that location. Uh, he's sitting on the curb with Debbie. Uh, is it Debbie? Um, yeah. Yeah. And you can see the Vespa in the background and the <laughs> trash can with like this giant dent in it. Um, <laughs> kind of a nice detail. I love it. Um, I do appreciate a great coming-of-age movie that takes place over the course of a day, which most of this movie does. Um, and I just thought of this, though. The... Not being able to stop the Vespa reminds me of a moment in the movie Friday where Smokey is unable to stop his car after they go to the liquor store. Mm. And maybe Friday is a genius movie even more so than I thought. Maybe that's a reference to American Graffiti. And, yeah. and F. Gary Gray is just playing 3D chess. Yeah. Um, lastly, oh, I just want to mention the the police car stunt, but also when they have the race at the end, the car flips with Lori and Bob inside of it. I remember sort of my jaw kind of dropping. I was yeah. like, oh yeah, that's kind of like an intense crash. And it rightfully does sort of like traumatize her and kind of like bring Steve a little bit closer to their, uh, as far as a relationship goes. And that totally works for me. Um, not as just because of, I've survived car accidents and that has sort of increased some like emotional connection with between, people, between me and people I love. But just like the way that it all sort of plays out visually just works very well because it is like a, a somewhat of a spectacular kind of crash. Yeah. And that's sort of why I mentioned that. It feels like the end of an era that like, yeah, we're doing like this drag race. Like it's like the end of high school kind of thing. Like it's this macho shit going on. But no, like a car flips over, bursts into flames. Like the fun's over. <laughs> like we're kind of like this is kind of being wrapped up in a way that feels very visual and explosive to me i know this was a pretty uh low budget movie too so i wonder how much that cut into production costs like blowing up a car crashing and blowing up a car multiple cars when you deal with the police car but then also yeah how much did they spend just on songs for this movie Um, yeah also i get i guess probably not too much probably it's probably not too expensive to rig up the rig for the driving shots but yeah. I thought, yeah, maybe to shut down these roads into, or maybe they didn't shut down roads. They just did it, gorilla. Ah, oh, man, I don't know. I mean, they're like racing cars and shit. Like, yeah, but I was thinking more of this, like the casual stuff when it's just like, yeah, just uh, cars driving. Yeah, it's like a, a, a clearly just like a regular street in the middle of California. Uh, I just read that the scene where uh, the girls throw the water balloon at. Um, John and Carol. It was just supposed to hit the side of the car and get Carol wet, I think, and she was going to get pissed off, but it hit her right in the face and she couldn't help but laugh. And then so that whole interaction is kind of improvised. Okay. Uh, It feels like there was a lot of stuff in this movie that was just kind of like, shit just happened. Um, The scene of John telling Terry that like, oh man, he was going to beat me, like that whole thing at the end. Uh, that he, yeah. you know, he was going to lose the race. Like that was all improvised because they didn't have a ton of time to prepare for the scene. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Harrison Ford wearing a hat 
was Harrison Ford's decision because he was asked, <laughs> he was asked to cut his hair for the movie and he was like, no, it's too small of a role. I'll, I'll just wear a hat. <laughs> okay. Badass. Gotta love it. Um, anything else? Um, yeah, just last because I last little thing because I appreciate some historical kind of context for things. Another uh, another thing that reminds uh, sort of that builds into the end of an era kind of thing. I was curious why 1962 was the year that this was chosen. Um, and I was looking up, and JFK was assassinated in 1963. So yeah. I, I maybe that 62 to 63 transition is another clear like oh the party is kind of over kind of thing things are fucking changing things are different mentally maybe the summer of 62 was the last time this kind of thing felt fun in this particular kind of way and maybe that's exactly why we're focusing in on this summer in particular but i just found that sort of interesting yeah yeah that was supposed to be like another sign of like the loss of innocence for the united states I think, yeah. uh, the United States was ramping up uh, involvement in Vietnam also at that time. Yeah, so I could definitely imagine being like, oh yeah, the summer of 62 is the last time we were able to be 12 years old, hop into a stranger's car, and be out until 2 a.m. at night and carry around silly string and, you know, and then the summer of 63, and it, it wasn't fun no more. Maybe so, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I also heard that... Um, this was kind of a George Lucas's response to the Vietnam War, I guess. Was that like, um, you know, a lot of cinema started ramping up in terms of how extreme it was. You know, uh, the media, watching the news media, we were getting these depictions of yeah. violence overseas. And culture always kind of reflects what's happening in the media. You know, we got torture porn during 9-11. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh yeah, so his kind of response to that was to just go the opposite direction and be like, remember when things were good? Uh, let's make a movie about that. And then we'll end it with the characters die. <laughs> <laughs> Vietnam, hey. <laughs> pigs, let's go. But also um, he wanted to make, um, oh gosh, what was it? The Francis Ford Coppola war movie? You just mentioned it. Uh, Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now, yeah. He wanted to do Apocalypse Now. Uh, but because THX11... 38 or 1137 was um kind of a bomb uh 1138 uh yeah it was kind of a bomb so he was like all right uh francis ford coppola um gave him the challenge of trying to make something that was actually would emotionally resonate with audiences it's a little more yeah comforting i guess more feel good and so that's when he did american yeah i guess that perplexes me even more while uh sort of why the movie more american graffiti exists before we started recording you mentioned there's a sequel and for those listening yeah in 1979 there was a sequel to this made and it takes place over the course of three new year's eves in 64 65 66 and 67 um but yeah it's it seems to be about a little bit diving more into that because yeah the poster has like this peace sign and uh, these patchy helicopters and this very Vietnam kind of late 60s imagery is, is essentially yeah. the poster. And so I'm very curious how, like, a sequel, uh, sorry, a sequel that's completely obvious and direct about it kind of factors into this, which is clearly, like, a response to, to what you just mentioned. Yeah, him and Gloria Katz are, direct, are uh, credited as writers. 
Um, it was directed by Bill Norton and written by Bill Norton. Okay, so looking into it more, it just says based on the characters created by George Lucas and Gloria Katz and Willard Willard Hoik Willard Hook. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think he had much involvement. George Lucas. Uh, but yeah, my understanding is that movie kind of sucks. <laughs> I have not watched it. Great. Cool. Alright, so I think that wraps things up for American Graffiti. Uh, what have you been watching lately? Um, so, been watching a few things. Ted Lasso is the season, sorry, the series finale just aired mm. a couple of days ago, and I was not caught up. I'm in the process of finishing these last like six episodes and it seems to be like all of them are like an hour long plus which i'm looking forward to um i like usually the episodes are around like 30 minutes to like maybe 40 at the most but i appreciate that if it's a series finale these are the last six episodes all of them are yeah like an events. hour long like, like fuck it yeah like give me a movie almost or like a portion of a movie for the end so looking forward to that um I will give my thoughts on that when that's completed. Uh, there's some things I want to mention, but I want to wait till it's done. But 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 another series finale, Barry, ended mm-hmm. this past Sunday. Did you watch it? I did watch it. Cool. I <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't. It. I. I. When it ended, I was like, okay, I guess that's it. Like it didn't really move me. It didn't really affect me. I feel like um, the time jump. I think we discussed this, like, with the time jump, it feels like the show has to do some work to win you back over. It did win me back over, but then, I don't know, it kind of just, it didn't feel like this is what this whole series has been hurtling towards. This is the ending that, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't really... See, I did appreciate the ending. I was very mixed. I walked away from it very mixed because I was like, oh, wow, this episode fully reminds me of how much fun and potential this world has and, like, the weird the weird territory that only this show is capable of going into. Like, I missed, like, that weird... Like, I, I like when the show is, like, leans more into comedy and, like, goes into a little more of the goofier violence. I'm okay with that. And I think this, this show when it does those kind of long uh sorry long takes and really like heightened action sequences it reminds me of grand theft auto mm. a lot I, um and i felt like yeah that's, this last episode, that's actually yeah of, really good uh, comparison yeah, thanks uh, so, so this last <laughs> episode kind of felt like that a little bit it was had a little of that goofy slapstickiness to it with the very over the top shootout in the middle of the episode um yeah, I I really enjoyed sort of how it ended, and I guess get into spoilers. Uh, spoilers to how the series of Barry ends. So don't listen to this if you haven't listened. <laughs> if you haven't watched far. all of Barry, uh, yeah, I do appreciate them sort of flipping this entire series into like a movie, and then seeing how the inaccuracies of mm-hmm. the movie reflect on what. We and we saw got Jim Cummings. Show. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was awesome. I thought that was great casting. I was like, oh, Daniel will appreciate this. Um, but yeah, I, I did like the fact that, yeah, the mom is like, uh, she's like, don't watch this movie. Like, it's like it's full of shit. Like, you're, like, please don't watch this. And then the son sneaks away to watch this movie about Barry. And we know about the life, and so we know the truths of mm-hmm. what happened. And so we see the 
them played out inaccurate, and I, I just really liked that. I did. I just liked what they were doing with the finale of it. I thought it was a very strong uh, finale for the series. But yeah, it is like I said. It was. It took me a while to sort of get back into it and kind of fall back in love with it. Um, so I am kind of with you. I was. Uh, I was definitely more on the fence. I mentioned that in the last conversation. Yeah. Last. Yeah. Um, I feel like the sort of climax of the Fuchs and Noho Hank uh, plotline seems kind of strange to me that it's like Fuchs wants Noho Hank to bring him Barry, but they have they get hung up on this uh, Noho Hank's unwillingness to acknowledge that he had a hand in the death of Cristobal. Um, And so like that is kind of what brings these Noho Hank to an end. Uh, Fuchs escapes. <laughs> we don't know what happens. Yeah. We don't really don't know what happens to Fuchs. Um, he's able to return Barry's son to him, which seems like a weird pivot because, like, is that what this has been building up to? Is that, like, yeah. the whole reason he wanted Barry was to make amends? Uh, I, I don't totally understand. Yeah, I'm not sure um, And then I do appreciate that Gene Cousineau is the one who gets the kill on Barry. Yeah. <laughs> um... But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just... I also find it odd that um, the detective, or the police officer's father, I'm not familiar, I don't remember his name, but you know yeah, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, he's supposed to be, like, this great... I don't know. You, you get, you're, you're supposed to believe that he's, like, this hyper-intelligent guy. Like, he, he understands people, he can do this investigation, and then he just comes to completely wrong conclusions and is it just because he's disgusted with Gene Cousineau, so he makes up this whole story because he truly blames him for his wife's death, even though he didn't, he didn't actually, he wasn't the one who pulled the trigger? Like, yeah. Uh, or am I just trying to read into it too much? <laughs> no, I, I think you're in the right place because, yeah, the, the show does deal with those complex sort of connections between these characters. But I, like I said, my criticism was it didn't seem to have enough time to to really let those things cook in the oven and kind of get fleshed out. And yeah, I wish it was longer. Like the thirty minutes, I feel like kind of held it back and didn't give us a chance to to spend time with these characters and to find out these things to help us really care about when all you know the bullets start flying and things start happening. So, so, lot, so many things happen in season four. Yeah. It's like there's impossible to sort of wrap up. Maybe that's yeah, the show that needed an hour long finale. Um, yeah, it's working for Ted Lasso. Yeah. It's working very nicely for Ted Lasso. Um, anything else? Oh, um, yeah. Sorry, uh, another tough guy movie that uh, I feel like could have been a little bit better. So I'm a big fan of Conan the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. Conan the Barbarian is very good. Um, it opens on a Nietzsche quote. It has like a, like a dark tone to it. Um, James Earl Jones is a great villain. And it, yeah, and it's early Schwarzenegger. It's, it just, it's a very cool like package. And so Conan the Destroyer is the sequel some years later. It's the one with Grace Jones in it. Uh, it's like more toned down philosophically it's definitely just as violent if not more violent there's multiple decapitations in this movie for which is weird for like a pg movie huh. was this before pg-13 uh, um I believe so okay 
uh, I believe it's before PG-13. This came out in 86. Huh. I forget when PG-13 came out. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one. Both are on Netflix. Conan the Barbarian is cool because, yeah, it has that darkness and that philosophy to sort of elevate the cheesiness of the visuals and, like, the sword and sandals and the sorcery and the, the very dated visuals. And so when you don't have that dark philosophical... Uh, stuff in the in the mixture you'd get like a very basic it's, it feels like a Saturday morning cartoon it's just very violent everyone's incredibly buff Wilt Chamberlain plays uh, like the princess's bodyguard or something so it's like weird like 80s stunt casting so it's just a trip of a movie and uh, it's very odd because someone in, on uh, what's it Letterbox mentioned it's hard watching so, like stuff like John Wick and then going back to this because like you're just watching people get like bonked on the head in some cases so it's like very simple action in that regard but it's a it's a curious little like throwback to a type of movie that just doesn't really kind of exist anymore. yeah so yeah check out Conan the Destroyer if you're looking for low stakes adventure. A lot of gems, a lot of capes, a lot of monster masks. It's it's interesting. Um, so yeah, another tough that's on, time. That's on Netflix, right? Yes, cool. yes. Uh, and that's it for me. What have you been watching? Um, I started, I think you should leave season three. I watched <laughs> the first three episodes. Have you started that yet? Yes, I've also watched the first three episodes. Okay. <laughs> Um, it's, it's like, even the old, the other seasons, it's a hard show to binge. I understand (laughs) why, like, at first I pulled it up and I was like, wait a minute, these episodes are only 15 minutes? Like, is that how it always was? And then I start watching and I'm like, yeah, I I get it. (laughs) Like, they need to give you some opportunities to leave. Yeah, Uh, 22 would be far too long. Yeah. Um, it's just so much yelling. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, what would have been the... I don't know the notable sketches so far in these three episodes. Like I'm, I'm struggling to remember what any of them were. Um, yeah, they all. Yeah, they're always very, very strange with how they start and how they end. Um, a lot of I, them don't end; they just yeah, kind of yeah. stop. Yeah, I enjoyed the one with the water bottle <laughs> inside of the office. The water bottle inside of the office. Yeah. Remind yeah. me about how that one works. Um. So oh yeah. The, yeah. During the, yeah. he's pretending to <laughs> pour his water on someone. Is that? What yeah, he's pretending to, to throw his water on a man. And yeah. Then, and the man one ups him by throwing actual water on him, and gets and then he gets in trouble for it. Um, I <laughs> he's think like, now you're in trouble. <laughs> I think the one where he is in a live studio audience and he keeps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that one might be a standout one because it's kind of long too, and it like. It kind of yeah. ha- it has like movements. <laughs> Definitely, um, yeah. I think the Patty Harrison one's pretty good, where she's, uh, you know, it's like an office birthday party, and she's like shining yes, a that, laser pointer into. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a weird one. Sometimes there's ones where they're just so strange. And I like I'm struggling to say like, do I like this show? Do I like watching this? <laughs> yeah, this TV am I show? having fun? <laughs> it's oh. like I don't know. Um, I do appreciate the. In the credits, I've noticed some Lonely Island alumni, Akiva Schaefer and Yorma Taconi, two of the two of the the non Andy Samberg members of the Lonely Island. Um, Uh. They're directing, which I appreciate the the fact that they're in the mix because they're they're always into absurdity and stuff, and I think it's a good match because yeah, Tim Robinson is definitely deeply deeply absurd. Um, I noticed in the directing credits, Fatal Farm came up. 
which mm. Fatal Farm, they are a video production group who I think probably what they're most famous for is they did a they contributed a scene to this movie called Our Robocop Remake. Are you familiar with that? No. So there was this movie, it was on Vimeo. I think it's called Our Robocop Remake. And it's every scene from Robocop is a different director. And oh, Fatal Farm, the scene that they did, is the scene where uh, a woman is being, you know, assaulted in a parking lot. Robocop shows up and one of the men grabs this woman. He's holding her hostage. He's like using her as a human shield. Robocop aims between the woman's legs at the man's dick, shoots his dick <laughs> off. Uh, so they remade that scene by having <laughs> Robocop proceed to shoot like a hundred men in the dick. <laughs> like just mutilated penises all over the place. Um, Amazing. And so, so yeah, I, it was kind of nice to see that uh, they got a credit on this show. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure what they contributed, but... That's yeah. awesome. I just looked them up on YouTube, and they have a, a video with um, the Lonely Island, and it's oh, Doubt go. the Video Game. Hmm. <laughs> it's like, no, I already imagine. I'll enjoy watching that later. Yeah, it looks yeah, like they did, a, a... they did some Terry Crews commercials and stuff, too. So. Sweet. Yeah, it seems like they were on, they did some Key and Peele stuff also. So, yeah, that's that's cool. Oh, my gosh. They did Coffin Flop. <laughs> that's, like, one of the best sketches. I'm looking at their website now. I'm like, yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, other than I think you should leave, um, this week I saw Connor O'Malley live at The Independent. Um, oh, sweet. Which is pretty cool because I saw him... I think earlier this year opening for joe para maybe it was late last year um and he does this character i forget what the name is like john rockwell or something like that who is promoting his business called stand-up solutions and what stand-up solutions is it is the first ai stand-up comedian powered 100 percent by 5g um, and so the idea is, yeah, he, he comes out, he, you know, has, uh, his AI stand-up comedian perform a set, um, then, which is just like a projection. Like when he performed at the independent, the projector was, wasn't working. He, like it ended up getting pushed back like 15 minutes. Cause he was just like working through technical difficulties and stuff. Um, <laughs> he ran out on stage multiple times thinking the show was starting. And then like, <laughs> he just had to like talk while they like worked through technical difficulties. But, um, but he does that. He like introduces himself, talks about like the importance of fatherhood to him, talks about his uh, <laughs> exercise routine, his, his, uh you know what he eats for breakfast lunch and dinner <laughs> um talks about his nice. love for his rav4 um and then yeah he goes over like the tenets of stand-up solutions and it was like an like maybe like two hours worth of show or maybe maybe like an hour and a half because he did have an opener but uh um, okay. i was honestly surprised it it, it felt like a one-man show or something more than like a uh just like a regular stand-up comedy show because there was yeah, yeah. all of this interaction with the uh you know video stuff and um like at one point he takes someone from the audience he takes their cell phone and he has it generate uh an ai 
based stand-up comedy routine based on the data from their phone and Oh, cool. uh, yeah, I don't know. It was good stuff. Um, yeah, lots of screaming, <laughs> lots of screaming, <laughs> lots of yelling. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was great. I had a great time. Awesome. So yeah, that's that's all for me. Sweet. Well, there's one more uh, stage of coming of age, and I figure we might as well do boyhood. I think that's boyhood. That's the, all right. The We're experimental going, going to the early 2000s <laughs> yeah early 2000s um long form cinema first long long movie shot over a very very long period of time um see so a boy become a man looking forward to that um and wrapping up our coverage of coming of age so yeah this has been episode 126 of vague zone if you'd like to contact us you can email us vaguezonepod at gmail.com if you have questions comments concerns or theme suggestions let us know you can tweet at us at vaguezone on twitter let us know what you're watching uh yep one of your i'm one of your hosts thomas and i'm daniel and thank you for listening we'll catch you on the next one peace